0: Are we recording? Oh, yeah! (laughs) It's
1: like (laughs) a year from now. (laughs) Macho. Oh, man, that's
0: Vincey. I like
2: that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit.
1: I'm okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day.
0: Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? You're good by the next day, as long as you had a sandwich and a knife
1: today's episode we are going to cover um, three additional aspects of Samuel Markora's uh, psychobiological model. This is our fourth uh, podcast discussing this. Again the first one was just kind of an introduction and our discussion and our opinions on the topic. Uh, The second podcast was about sense of effort. The third podcast was about motivation and this podcast will cover uh, three elements of his, uh, well three important elements of his um, his his model of endurance performance. So the first one, um, being knowledge, is, well, it and this is where it kind of gives away that a lot of these models are are based around endurance sports, right? In classic endurance sports of cycling, running, rowing, cross country skiing, you know that type of stuff. Not the not new age endurance sports like CrossFit, but there is applicability. Um, so the first element being knowledge of the distance remaining. So you think of that in terms of a race, like how much you have left in a race, and we're thinking classical race here, like 5K run, 10K run, 5K row, like 200 kilometer bike ride, that type of stuff. Um, so knowledge of the distance remaining, knowledge of the distance covered, so how much distance you've actually covered in this race or in this event, uh, and then your previous experience of, and specifically your previous experience with perception of effort in, the, in that exact uh, setting. So, and, w- and what it means by that is that if you've never done the race before, or if, you, it's like if, you've never, if you've only ever run five kilometers is your longest distance, um, if you go to run five kilometers again that previous experience of having run that duration, that distance, um, will be potentially helpful uh, in how you make your decisions and your ability to maintain uh, the current pace you're at. Versus if you try to run 20 kilometers Um, and you've never even come close to running that distance before, you have no previous experience of running that that duration, that distance, and that amount of time. So all you have to draw on is that previous, uh, the longest run you had, which was 5 kilometers, and it's not quite as optimal, and we'll cover that a little bit more. So the first one we will discuss, um, actually the last thing, we'll finish off the podcast with some limitations associated with this theory. This is not going to be all limitations associated with this uh, because I'm sure there's some we aren't aware of but we're co- we'll cover uh, some prominent ones in our opinion. Okay, so which one do you want to start with? Let's start with Let's start with well actually um start start with knowledge of the distance covered cuz that's kind of a bit of an obscure one so it won't, probably won't take that long. <laughs> so again, what this means um, and and just to to clarify, so In Samuel Marcour's model, the psychobiological model, there are five elements, in his opinion, that are at the base level of his model that function together and when taken together in their entirety is what will help you, or or basically what helps the athlete determine their perceived ability to maintain their current power output, their current pace, um, whatever. And those five things are what was previously mentioned. So we have perception of effort, potential motivation, knowledge of the distance covered, knowledge of the distance remaining, and previous experience. So knowledge of the distance covered. So just take for example, um, like what like was a good example of that. Like see so he had the marathon row in the, uh, in the CrossFit games in 2018. Uh, and I guess really with, with this with his thinking, right is you knowing that you've already rode 40,000 meters, will impact your perceived ability to maintain the current pace for the next two kilometers, just knowing that you've done the 40,000 meters. Uh, And same thing with a marathon. You knowing that you've you've been working hard and trying hard in a marathon run or a marathon row for a very long extended period of time will likely impact your perceived ability to maintain that pace moving forward. Um, And I guess you kind of think of that from... What like to the first to me the first thing that comes to mind is the mental fatigue aspect. Just going, I've been trying really hard <laughs> for a long time here, and, uh, and I'm I'm just getting I'm just getting a bit tired. I would I would like I, it would be very easy for me to slow down and for me to not slow down. I have to rely on one of these other other elements, and that's per, potential motivation. Uh, and I might have to find a way to make myself want to want to really keep this going, or I just have to might be willing to experience higher levels of effort instead of reducing my pace that's what I mean by these five things working together so any comments on knowledge of the distance uh covered and just think of a different example besides what I gave with uh, marathon yeah.
0: I, I think it it's that part is contingent on the next part that we talk about the uh what's what's remaining so if you know you've gone 5k and you okay. only have 5k left then you have a completely different reference point of how much longer you have to hold this versus if you don't know how far you've come, how long you've been running or whatever like that, you wouldn't have an accurate representation of how much further you'd have to go or how much longer you'd have to row. So if you take away the screen on the rower and you're like, you're going to row and you don't have a reference, you don't know how long I'm going to have to hold this pace or how long I have been holding this pace realistically. So both of them are. Kind of contingent on each other on how they affect your perception to hold that pace.
1: Yeah, a good example of that actually with with uh, with the author Sam Markora. They ran a race <clears throat> um, in a desert somewhere. <laughs> um, but it was a really hard, it was a really hard sand desert, and I don't know where it was. But they called it the Endless Race or the Race Without an End, one or the other. So basically, they had these individuals. Uh, They knew I guess they had an idea of what their previous bests were on distances between half marathon and marathon and these aren't elite level people These are recreational level runners and all they did was give them a watch So they had a pace to run And they knew how fast they were running, but they had no idea how long they were running. They didn't know the distance They only knew the pace and they had to run until they decided to quit and I'm pretty sure they put them right at their pace. That would be either for the marathon or the half marathon and they told them, just just run. Um, but they're not they're not going to know how long they ran or not going to know um, how much they've covered at all. All they did was provide them with, like, liquids and nutrition drought because they would literally have someone, like, driving by them and giving it to them. And most people set personal bests on that. But some people didn't, right? Because you could just think, right? Some people might require the, – they, they might just start thinking differently and going – well, I really feel like I'm overdoing it here. Like I'm wait like you start thinking to yourself that you've done more than you have. And then other people <clears throat> just end up end up setting personal best for how long they've run at that pace or they've set personal best for distances. And they didn't know how far they ran. They just knew how fast they were going.
2: Was there
3: an actual end to it?
1: No. They well when it they stopped just to see how long they when, would quit. Yeah, when they when so they decided day. that they would stop. I guess they, they probably projected it so that people would finish probably between 90 minutes and two and a half hours or something like that i'm guessing that's probably what they went with um, they probably weren't giving people paces they'd run for 20 hours <laughs> <laughs> like i'll catch you in the morning i'm going to get a nap <laughs> like i don't think that's what they were doing but that's a that's an example um who um i guess from a real endurance aspect um what else what other examples? i guess you could kind of think of it in terms of different events too like over the course of a weekend of competition right you know you've been competing for three days uh you're tired you know you're tired but mentally you're tired as well um and there was again i think it was i think it was in who spoke with it was it i can't remember it was matt fitzgerald's book no relation or alex hutchinson um but the girl who had the brain tumor that had to get it removed and she didn't have short-term memory so, whenever she would run, she would oh. never know how long she'd been running. It was an endure. It was an endure? Yeah. Yeah. So, she had no idea how long she'd been running. She's like, you could ask me, and I couldn't tell you if I'd been running for five minutes or five hours, only based on how my legs felt. Like, it kind of gave us somewhat of an idea. But to her, but like, that's a huge advantage in certain situations because she has no idea how long she's been going because that does affect your perceived ability to keep going. And on the other side of the coin, which Jason uh, mentioned already, is knowledge of the distance remaining and how that affects your perceived ability to uh, obviously maintain the pace. So, um, or not even not even to maintain the pace, but also the pace you choose and the power output you decide to pick. So, like if you're going through an event, well, like sixteen point one. Tom, you mentioned that last time, which was the what did it start with lunges? Yeah, yeah like it was like. What was lunge it? bar facing burpee, lunge Yeah. Chest mar- bar. Yeah, lunge bar facing burpee, lunge chest bar. I really like that workout. Um anyway, but like so if you're a, if if you're a good competitor, right? You start out that event knowing you have 20 minutes left. Uh and based on your previous experience with 20 minute events and a lineup of these types of movements, right? You you will then try to select an optimal pace. And as you get going you'll feel it out and figure it out and go okay okay um, this is what I'm trying to do here right? I'm trying to achieve this pace okay I'm I'm doing like what I can't remember what a good score was like 11 or 12 rounds probably yeah
3: 11
1: more or more so say you're a jobber like me um and you're like let's try to get 8 rounds or whatever it was 9 rounds or just make it even if I want to get 1 round every 2 minutes um, and that's what you go with what the, what the thing here is that if you have 20 minutes left that's gonna have that's kind of a large impact on your perceived ability to keep going at that pace, right? Um, versus if you have two minutes left and you're like, I know I can speed up here and I'm gonna try to get as many reps in as I can. And fortunately, in an event like that, if you're reasonably fit, that's an event where you can speed up. You can speed up, you can just take shorter breaks after the chest bars, you can do faster lunges, or you can just keep going, or you can speed up the burpees and just keep the breaks short between the burpees and the lunge, and that's how you'll speed up and you can try to speed up. But you won't do that at the two minute mark because you know better, right? You just know, you know, from previous experience, what's going to happen. If you're experienced, if you're experienced in a lot of
2: conversations with, with clients during that workout in particular, where you suggested a pace and they're like, really, that seems really slow. And you're like, yes, but it's a 20 minute event. Like you just said. And then they tell you the result and said, the pace you gave me felt like it was too slow initially. So I sped up after the first round. Because I was just, I felt like I I shouldn't rest that long, and then they absolutely implode and get
1: like five and a half or six rounds. Right? These high shoes are really good. <laughs> It'll probably be a new sponsor. <laughs> Someone else got to say something. I'm still eating. <laughs> Mike and I went head to head in that event. Oh, is it Ramsey? Yeah. Man, I died. R.I.P. Yeah, you wrote uh,
3: that. Killed me.
1: I don't, think I, I don't even think I got eight rounds. I think it. I think it took me over about two and a half minutes per round. I did it again like six months later and did, did five rounds in like nine minutes. And I was like, what the hell was I doing? <laughs> I, was, I was a slob. <laughs> um, anyway, so the knowledge of the distance remaining or the knowledge of the time, amount of work remaining, right, will largely impact how fast you're going to go. And again, there's lots of, there's lots of scenarios like this. Um, and a, a simple example, which just happened in the CrossFit Games, uh was during what was it, the three three mile plus or minus it whatever it was. You can see that the plus meant forward and the minus meant backwards now, so it was six miles of running. Um yeah, the ranch event with the running in the hills and all that stuff. So you could see towards the end uh, that Matt Frazier like sped up to try to stay ahead of Jonathan Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're going to lose their Sorry It's Justin Oh man It's Justin
1: Medeiros It's Justin Medeiros Yeah What I I said He's like the child of uh, Jonathan Gibson (laughs) And Hunter McIntyre (laughs) Oh my god That's so good Gibby's facial expressions And napkin triceps And uh, Hunter's hair (laughs) It's pretty sweet Okay So when Matt was trying to stay ahead of uh, Medeiros at the end You could see him speed up just to try to make sure he won, um, and he was okay with going way faster than he knew he was sustainable because he was very close to the end of the race, or so he thought. So that's what he did. He sped up because he's like, uh, I, I have a, I have 80 meters left here, or 100 meters, or whatever. I'm just gonna try to, I'm gonna run hard and stay ahead of you. Notice how he didn't do that with 4k left, or not 4k left, like 400 meters left or 800 meters left. He didn't do it. They were just running together. Because that's, that's what you want to do. You're not going to try to sprint that early because you likely are unsure of how of, of your ability to maintain that power output for the duration of the event. But once that equation between you, you thinking I can't and you thinking you can, once that equation starts tipping towards I know I can, you'll, you'll be more likely to do it. And when you get to that 100, 200 meters left, you're like, I know I can do this. And you also have to be willing to allow yourself to go up to higher levels of effort for that duration. And so that all comes into play, right? So just a simple example there, Matt sped up because he thought he had 100 meters left. Uh, And when he found out he didn't, he went right back to the previous pace he had. He didn't stay at the pace he was going, he went back to the pace he was at previously because he has to work at that pace to make it back in a decent time because he can't run faster than that because he's running fat below the critical speed, which I think we've covered before. Um, So, but uh, just one adjunct here, right, is there's, uh, maybe we can cover that in another topic about the in-spurt stuff, but um, yeah, we'll just move on for now. So how much you have left in the event is um, is drastically important with your, your decision-making and your perceived ability to maintain how fast you're going. Uh, What other examples do you want to give with that? So the 16.1 example is a good one. Um, The knowledge of the the long duration run is a good one. What else?
2: Yeah, I was just going to give my own experience of my half marathon. But it's the opposite of Matt, where I knew how much distance I had remaining, but it wasn't so I could speed up. It was so I didn't start walking. This is like I ran 18K. I knew I only had three left, and that's the only thing that kept me from stopping that slow jog I had at that point to an absolute crawl of a walk. Um and so yeah, that was <clears throat> just having that in the back of my mind, knowing that you have such little distance to go and you've covered so much already was motivation enough for me to just keep moving my feet and not and not to walk. And just to finish the race as a run and not as a
1: Run, walk. You At knew marathon. I'd ask you to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how was it? Good. Did you walk? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So actually, what made me think? What made me think there is um, I'm sure if any, if if you've done if if there, if anyone here is coaches that you're isn't listening, uh, and you've watched, I don't know, if you coach classes or you just see your individuals train in front of you. Um, specifically, I would say it's more common amongst people who are more beginner uh, level. Maybe not beginner level; they're just definitely not elite level individuals. Um, and so when they're like, maybe they're making their way through some, like some fifteen minute. Maybe let's take let's take some example. They're going through like, um, like five rounds for time of like ten thrusters at a at a low weight, uh, ten calorie row, and ten bar facing burpees. And they're just kind of, you know, you're like, man, he's, this, guy's, this guy's pretty lazy. Why is he just, like, breaking up the thrusters? I know he doesn't have to, but he just wants to. Like, why doesn't he just do the thrusters unbroken and then just go a bit slower in the row? But he just doesn't want to, whatever. But then, you know, suddenly he gets to the last round of the burpees and he's sprinting, right? Because now he's like, I only got 10 burpees left, so I'm going to speed up here and finish it off. <laughs> and you go, well, why didn't you go, like, just a little bit faster the whole time so you'd have a better score? Um, and for these people in this equation you could get is that they're just not okay with that they're not okay with that level of effort they don't believe they can go faster and they're not motivated to go faster but once they get close enough to the end of the event they're like oh, okay the scale starts tipping they're like I'm gonna start trying now and they bang out like 30 seconds of work that's super impressive You're like man that was real fast um, and that's just the way that's what it looks like for them right um, and it happens frequently with powerful individuals too Who they just like keep chipping away and they look dead, they look dead, and they kind of like rise up and then do 15 on broken to finish, (laughs) right? That's that's the way it is. Like uh, you can see it in these people. They're like they're just slogging their way through, slogging their way through, and then home run. (laughs) Now they didn't get a good score because they weren't working hard enough the whole time. Because you shouldn't be able to really do that. But that's the way they do it, Uh, and the knowledge of them having that amount of time left is what does it for them. You change the knowledge aspect, and they don't know how much they have left, and the coach just says, I'll tell you when you're done. Um, That's not going to happen. Just take that away from them, and that's not going to happen anymore. You're not going to get those little spurts of effort. And the last one, um, previous experience. So like we were saying, um, so if you went on a run, uh, yeah, I guess if if you want to – maybe just – yeah, it's – if you just say you went on a, you you went to run a half marathon distance at an easy pace with someone who is a very experienced half marathon runner versus yourself who you're like I just run in CrossFit so I run 400 meters at a time I live lap <laughs> it was, I live life one lap at a time <laughs> <That> Ricky Bobby <laughs> that's so good It's like the CrossFit thing anyway <laughs> um, so when you started in that run. And let's just say this guy is helping you or this girl, an experienced person, is helping you. Like, okay, I, you should probably run at this pace and I'll run at your pace because it's going to get a bit hard towards the end. They're saying that because they know what's going to happen. They understand the process, how it's going to work and what it's going to feel like as you start going 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 minutes into it. The fact that you don't know any of that is going to is going to drastically impact your perceived ability to keep going at that pace that you're currently at because it's all new territory for you. Um, so the best the best suggestion of those scenarios is just to go a bit slower, right? And I would guess it's kind of like the marathon row for people right at the game. So you have two things going on there. Um, they, I would say most of them have never rode that distance before or were unsure of it. Um, and so they didn't know how fast to go, right? So you I would assume that, you know, they probably picked some people probably picked the pace that was a bit too fast. Some people probably pick the pace was a bit too slow, and some people probably guess the pace properly. And then over time, they can get a sense of what's happening, and they're like, oh, "Okay, this is probably the best pace for me." Um, yeah, and then uh, good, like like Scott mentioned with CrossFit. So, which uh, who were you? Were you thinking of someone exam, uh, in particular when you said that? Like you, like you, you having the experience and knowing them. Who they are and knowing how these events will play out, you tell them how fast to go initially because you're trying to be their previous experience. Mm-hmm. That's what you're trying to do. Yep. You're trying to tell them what to do to give them the to give them the best output um, on that test and how to do it. Right, but the problem is the real problem here is <clears> is athletes need to develop their own experience and harness their own experience, right, and be aware of it because they shouldn't ask you those questions of like, so how fast should I do this? Like, what? Like You should know how fast to row if the workout is 21-15-9 rowing a toaster bar. You should know how fast to row. You shouldn't be asking me how fast to row because you've done every scenario in the book. You should know how fast to go. And you should also know you're going to have to adjust based on how things go. And you should just know that stuff. Um, and if you don't know that stuff, yeah, you're, you're, uh, you're in for a rough time <laughs> because the coach just can't know that for you. And they shouldn't. That's not their responsibility. It's your responsibility. Um, yeah. So, like, and I guess, like, um, the the interesting aspect of this, right, with CrossFit, is that almost everything is there is no previous experience specifically because it's all new scenarios, right, and all new settings and all new schedules. Like, it's always new. Um, so that's I guess you can kind of kind of go with that's why the the constantly varied aspect becomes, I guess, important. Um, because I guess people just are just constantly unaware of how the situation's going to be, but they kind of create some form of comfort in that. right? They become comfortable doing that. Uh, and, they become, and they just become practiced at knowing how they're doing right and understanding themselves. And that's really the best way to do it. But if you do an event and you have the previous experience of having done it, it's likely going to benefit you when you go to do it again because you're gonna perceptually understand how it went previously, and how you can do better next time. And if you didn't have the previous experience, it would, it would affect how fast you decide to go. Um, but sometimes you, you, know, you might get it, you might nail it, you might hit it right on the money on the first time, and it might be the right circumstances. And like at the games, for example, like the circumstance of you not knowing and never done the event might be not as important as the fact that you're rowing at the CrossFit Games with everyone else that will override the fact that you don't understand you don't understand this distance versus you come back to your gym and you try to roll the half merit the right roll the marathon and now it seems a little different You're like I know how how long this is gonna be I have the experience of having done it but I'm l- missing something else <laughs> it's like, where are the 8,000 people watching me row why isn't that happening so you take away that motivational aspect then it can, you know, it might not be as valuable. So that's that's what it says by having these five items work together to function um, in in, in basically shaping and framing your perceived ability to maintain the power and pace you're doing or to speed up or slow down or disengage. Any other examples of previous experience? Uh, We've used this one before, but just
3: in the past open workouts, Doing it on Friday and then Monday and competing better. The previous experience for Friday. You didn't get fitter on Monday, but you just know what it's gonna feel like at certain points. So you just pace it or break it up better. Yes. Was, when I you
1: was, said when you said competing on different like performing the event on Friday in the open and then doing the open work on Monday and then knowing what you gotta do, that then changes how well you like how you approach it. And then both you knowing you have to beat a certain time in this model functions to adjust your motivation. And then, but that's not even enough. Of it. You have people performing the same event on the same day, later in the day, and not just like a rowing and burpee event. We're talking thrusters and chest bar pull ups in hundreds of reps, and they're going to go do it again in the afternoon because they have to do it to qualify for the regionals, right? Mm-hmm. They have to, and now they do better on the second one, right? Mm-hmm. The second one now they obviously they have a little bit of experience from having done it, but they already do thrusters chest bar all the time, but. The motivation of performing that task goes through the roof because they understand if I don't beat this time, I'm not going to go. Um, and the physiological aspect of having done all these work and, and creating like muscular damage is, is not a limiting factor here. It's the fact that they were willing to try harder and push the system harder because they, it has much more importance to them. right? Um, so both the experience of having done it, yeah, but then you just change the situation, and yeah, it becomes vitally important for them to succeed.
0: I just got one uh, one anecdotal uh, observation when I was a lot skinnier. I did the Death Race a couple times, and Grand Cache, and the second the second um, what's the, what, the second leg of it? It has two mountain peaks. It's so the first time I did it. I thought the the hardest part was over once I hit the second mountain peak, and so I, I gave it pretty hard, but that I didn't realize that downhill was worse. <laughs> <laughs> so so I was almost I was almost walking, and I I walked quite a lot on the downhill on the first time I did that leg, and uh, I I was mangled by the time I made it back into the, into the town, and I was I I was just sl- I was slow I was very slow, and the next year I went to do it and. Uh, I just knew that it wasn't over that leg wasn't over just because i made it to the top of the second hill it was like i i paced it out way differently and had such a much easier time i was probably not any fitter i was actually probably a lot less fit for running in that second time doing it but coming down that hill was so much easier because i knew that it was just a mangle fest on the downhill so yeah yeah
1: scott did you have another example
2: no i was just gonna say going back to like the the running Example of you've you've run a half marathon one time, so now you know what it feels like, and you have a better idea of how you should pace it the second time around. But that's under the assumption that the the atmosphere is the same. So you ran a half marathon on a track, say, because you wanted to torture yourself. It's you're turning left the whole time, and it's on a flat surface. But now you do a two hundred or twenty one k run, and you're doing it throughout town, and so you're going up hills, down hills, you're running on sidewalks, running on. Pavement running potentially on trail versus 21k on trail only, like all that is obviously going to be incredibly different than the than the other variations, right? So, uh, just my point being that uh, previous experience would have to be like you'd have you'd have to replicate it as close to the previous uh, setting as as you did prior. Thanks for tuning in. If you
3: like the episode and know someone else that will please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen for questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet. Send those questions to spiral podcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. Catch you guys in two weeks.